This week on the It's a Monkey podcast. When you go looking for a VA in the direct market, particularly in the Philippines, for example, you'll get them putting resumes forward that say they know how to do everything. They actually don't really, or they may have had a little bit of experience. So how we've eradicated this problem is we actually go out to market and we're a little bit different from competitors in this way. We go out to the market and we're looking for a type of person. We're not necessarily looking for a skill set because you can teach the skill set. So we're looking for a type of person. Sometimes they have no experience. And then we bring them through a deep training program with us where we have created our own pro clients are free to use if they want because a lot of clients don't have their own processes for certain things. So we give them to the client as well. And the VAs are all trained in that kind of things. Good morning, hello, good evening, wherever you are in the world listening to us. I sometimes do wonder where you listen to us. I listen to a lot of my podcasts in the car, while exercising, while cleaning. So um, I hope if you are doing some mundane task, uh, we're helping you along a little bit. My name's Kevin Garber. You're listening to episode number 124 of the It's a Monkey podcast, where we talk about everything relating to technology, entrepreneurship, startups. We like to have this podcast as, uh, as if you are over-listening or overhearing an interesting conversation uh, with a couple of people. As always, my co-host um, is joining me from Canada. I'm in Sydney, Australia. Kate Frappel, who's the design lead and so much more at Manage Flutter. Um, Kate, thanks so much for joining us. No worries. Good to be back. How's your week been? Not too bad. Pretty busy and pretty warm here and getting stuck into some managed social stuff, which has been good. Yeah, I think uh, I think the world is excited. Maybe <laughs> even Donald Trump's going to tweet one day, "What's this? What's going to happen with this managed social story?" But yeah, anyway, it's it's on its way. And if you are interested in, uh, if you are a social person, social media person that uses some tools, keep an eye on managedsocial.com. We're going to have a free alpha release over the next couple of months that you're going to be able to. Uh, manage your Twitter accounts, and then a lot of other things from there. If you're an existing managed Twitter user, you may want to also give it a go because it's going to be a different flavor on, on a similar theme. But anyway, we've got a great podcast coming up for you today. Later on in the show, we chat with Barbara Turley, who's the founder and CEO of the Virtual Hub, which is a, a great site to get uh, uh, VAs, virtual assistants, which I know a lot of uh, people are, are using these days to uh, to help them along. Everyone's trying to scale their time and become more efficient, and VAs are, are one way of doing that. And these days with all the technologies, uh, you don't need a, an actual assistant sitting next to you. I know in Sydney, uh, labor and, and, and staff are very expensive. Resources are very, very expensive. So sometimes it's not workable to have someone locally sitting next to you, but a virtual assistant um, can be quite workable. But anyway, we chatted with Barbara about her entrepreneurial journey, and uh, that's coming up later on in the show. But as always, we kick off with tech news in our fantastic industry that we are lucky enough to work with. Then, Kate, this week, new S- new. U.S. trade penalties against China will affect electric scooter startups. Well, electric scooters are, are all the rage in a lot of cities. Funnily enough, they haven't really taken off in Sydney, even in the trendy areas of Bondi or Surrey Hills. They're not really a thing. But I was in Tel Aviv a few weeks, a few months ago, and boy, are scooters a thing there. Like just everyone is on all different flavors of electric scooters. Yeah, for sure. I know um, in L.A. there were 
they were really big as well. I, I don't know whether you would call it renting. I'm not sure how that happened, how they actually word that, but I, um, I used a few of the Lime scooters that were there when I was um, staying in LA and they were super convenient. But yeah, so basically the news is that to the Trump administration have added another import tax of 25%, which is actually affecting the importing of motorcycles and scooters. Um, so basically some of the big players, Bird and Spin and Lime, they currently pay about $400 per scooter. But with this import tax, it's going to up the cost of each of these scooters to roughly $500. Yeah, and so people are concerned this is going to come back to the user and they're going to be charging more per minute. But yeah, so they're not actually enforced yet. They'll be enforced next week on the 23rd of August. Look, I'm a, I'm a free market person and um, it's difficult not to get political these days. Trade wars, in my opinion, are generally a bad thing. I'm not quite sure if this is just a political move to appease his electorate with the perception that it's going to help save jobs and the perception it's going to improve the American economy. But um, tariffs and trade wars have been proven to be generally bad for everyone. So I don't think this is this is a good thing. And And that's the best case, that it's just economically bad. The worst case is... Trade wars land up being real wars sometimes, and you know it escalates tensions and it, there's a whole flow and effect. So, you know, it's uh, scooters are one thing and increasing the price of scooters, but wow, this is representative of, of some other geopolitical forces taking place, which I'm not quite sure how they're all going to play out. Kate, no, it's hard to say at this stage of the game. Um, what's uh, I don't know if you. What's going on with Canada and America in terms of trade? Are you up to speed with that at all? Not particularly. I don't think there's any particularly hard feelings or any penalties going on there. It seems to be China. So this is the second the second tax they've implemented, I think, this year between the US and China. Uh, so that's why it's sort of becoming a bit of an issue. Look, it's going to be a substantial issue. I mean, the iPhone... The iPhone's made in China. If there's going to be all sorts of tariffs on on some of the, you know, some I, I mean, it's designed in California and it's built, it's built by third party companies that Apple's got a very strong relationship with in China. But it's going to have a whole whole series of flow and effects, and people are not going to want to pay more. I mean, I remember when I was growing up in South Africa, and there was that environment. In in the eighties, was there was a lot of tariffs, much more tariffs. All the free trade agreements hadn't kicked in place yet, and there was very much the perception that imported goods were very expensive and very high quality. And then when the free trades came in, and we lived in a much more globalized world, and everything made everywhere, and the price dropped of everything, and the quality tended to improve probably as a whole. But maybe we'll go back. You know, I don't think necessarily it would be a good thing for us to go back to a world where all all countries are really forced to create, uh, replicate things locally. Product quality tends to drop because you're not finding the most efficient places that actually exceed at the quality, exceed at what they're good at. If everyone specializes in what they're good at, then it sort of plays out into the most efficient environment. So California, you know, even Tim Cook, who's the CEO of Apple, 
said recently, you know, it's not even so much that it's about labor costs or cheaper resourcing in China. China's become specialist at so much manufacturing that you can't even find in the U.S. You can't even find um, that type of specialist manufacturing in the U.S. anymore. So for the U.S. to just put up trade tariffs, um, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be particularly well thought out. But yeah, it's uh, that that's the whole political side of things. But yeah, scooters, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the, the scooter side of things. Are scooters a thing in Whistler or Vancouver at all? No, not at all. I mean, Uber's not even allowed in Vancouver. So I feel like this little corner of the world's a little bit, a little bit behind on some of the more modern transport methods, but it still kind of works. I mean, the taxis in Vancouver, are, I'd have to say, are some of the better taxis I've ever got in terms of being on time and and getting you to where you be and the rates and things like that. So I think they are definitely working on improving their service. And in Whistler, we have this thing called um, Popper Ride, which I think is probably all over Canada. But what you can do is if if you're driving, say, from Whistler to Vancouver, you put your ride on this app. So you say, I'm driving at 7 o'clock today and I have four spare seats. And then people pay yeah, you about usually $15 or something like that because it's about an hour and a half drive, uh, $15 a seat, and you just arrange for like a single pickup point and they you're going to be driving anyway, so you basically cover your fuel costs by yeah, having a few that. extra passengers. So that's a good way of getting back and forward if you can't line up a bus, and sometimes it works out to be cheaper, especially if it's sort of a one-way thing. The buses work out cheaper if it's a return ticket, but one way it's sometimes it's good to get a popper ride. But, yeah, so they're not really a big thing, not a really big thing over here yet, but I can see why they're popular, especially in the States. I'm like I'm against the the idea of them looking like litter and people sort of dumping them in places, which actually somebody said in the article that's actually in the show notes that by raising the price of these scooters, it might cause these companies to be a bit more strategic and careful about how how the whole system works with the scooters you know so they have to take care of them now that they're more, more expensive yeah and that and that is a good thing people tend to value things that that cost more i think you sent me an article early on in the week about all these um, bicycle sharing startups a lot of them out of china uh, that aren't working out too well and after our chat because i said to you uh, you know they've sort of disappeared from sydney and after our chat i was looking around they still they're still around. They, they actually, the bikes are still around, and I noticed a few people using them, but they're not a, as pervasive as they used to be. And yeah, I know we chatted that you very in favour of having docking stations for them, which is a slightly different model. Which um, there's probably a happy balance. Like in New York, they've got docking stations, and it works very well. I agree. There needs to be a bit of bit of order to it. You can't just you can't just have chaos. But these things iterate on themselves. You know, I still think. I still think they're worthwhile for us to revisit how transportation works in these cities and particularly moving away from cars and, and moving to more creative forms of uh, individual transportation. Yeah, definitely. I, I like the idea that it's keeping people or reducing people's rides in cars. But at the same time, yeah, a lot of these companies are getting like cease and desist orders and citywide bans only because the councils are having to clean up after them. You know, and they're getting dumped, they're putting in them in rivers. And then that video that I sent you as well is just even in China, it's obviously a big service there as well, but they're just 
disregarding so many of them and it just becomes a huge dumping ground of bikes because it's actually quite cheap to make them. Well, I'll tell you what is becoming a thing in Sydney are electric bikes, particularly yeah. for the people on uh, using the, the delivery services, especially the food delivery services. So I noticed in New York a few years back, delivery by, uh, electric bikes were huge and now they've really picked up here. With electric bikes, how does it work? You, you sometimes cycle but sometimes don't? I've I'm never exactly actually sure. tried one. I also I th- haven't tried one. Yeah, I, I get the impression they're motorized, so you sort of sit on them. I think you can pedal to make them a bit faster. I mean, maybe a similar principle to the scooter where you can, you know, if you put one foot on the ground and push, you can go a little bit faster or help it along, but, but mostly the motor's doing the work. Yeah, yeah. And, and Sydney is quite a, a hilly place. So it's unless you really want to push the fitness, which a lot of people do. I mean, a lot of the couriers and a lot of the Uber Eats people do cycle up and down everywhere. I mean, it's what a great way to stay fit. It's just there's a danger issue, though, in Sydney in particular. I don't think drivers are particularly sensitive to motor, motorcycles. And, and there was a death close to me a few months ago of uh, one of the delivery drivers. So, yeah. There was an Australian woman who was unfortunately killed on a bicycle in New York about a week ago. So, yeah, I sometimes think of motorbikes and and bicycles if there wouldn't, if there isn't some way of actually some some startup. This is a great startup project to make safer versions of motorbikes and of bicycles, um, either protective wear or or changing the actual sort of device itself there has to be a way we can make these things safer yeah i think there is already a lot of protective wear on the market but at the end of the day how do you change you'd be changing the activity itself if you tried to put you know covers and shades and all sorts of stuff around it's you know part of the reason people like going for a bike ride is that they're not enclosed yeah no it's true change the experience of what it was yeah, but maybe it would appeal to some people. I mean, for me, like in Bali, people love their motorbikes, their motor scooters, and there's just so many accidents and so many injuries. But And so I'm not interested in using them. But if there was some halfway point of some some form of it that maybe wasn't as cool and free, sort of spirited, but was safer, I'd, I'd use it. But anyway, maybe someone will... will, will We'll uh, come up with that one day. So that's that's scooters. Let's let's see how this trade trade thing plays out. It's always one thing with uh, the the current presidency. It's there's never a dull moment, right? It's yeah. like it's like it really is like like a sort of soap opera version of a presidency. It just every day there's just some drama playing out. It's like okay, what's it today? Um, type thing. So, always um, someone to talk about. Someone to talk about. Yeah. Um, Netflix. Let's talk Netflix. Netflix has started testing ads between episodes. Oh, you're not going to like this one, Kate. Nope. No, you no don't fan. like ads. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, they've started testing putting their own ads in between episodes. So not not in between movies, in between episodes. So if you're trying to binge watch something and you just roll one episode after the other, they're going to put ads, full screen ads, by the way, uh-huh. in between um, for other Netflix series and other shows, which a lot of people aren't really liking at the moment. But they're just only testing it. Apparently, you're supposed to be able to skip them. 
Um, but uh-huh. some users who are getting this like round of testing, they're reporting that they can't skip, that it's sort of more of a YouTube situation where you have to watch it for a certain amount of time before you can skip. So, yeah, it's just like an interesting way that Netflix are trying to market their own products and essentially they're trying to save time for the users. So they want they want to want their users to discover content easier and quicker. So if you're watching something, they can use an algorithm to say, oh, well, if they like this, they'll probably like something else. We'll show them an ad. And right. then when they when they finish the series and they want something else, they'll come to They'll come to the show that was advertised rather than just searching through the directory of Netflix. So these aren't these aren't third party ads yet. These are internal ads. Yes. Internal right. okay. Netflix and, and, ads. And a lot of cable services and even in Australia, um, our public broadcaster and SBS, which is a, a, a second type of public broadcaster we have in Australia, which I believe is actually quite unique, Kate. I think SBS, which stands for Special Broadcast Services, which is a multicultural broadcaster in Australia that used to be totally funded by the government, and I think now it's only partly funded by the government. But I think it's quite unique in the world. But um, they self-promote a lot through their ads as well. And the cable services do as well. Yeah, look, I think obviously people are worried that this will be a slippery slope down to other ads. Um, I mean, when are people ever excited by any ads? When like people never, they'll go, oh, great, there's ads on the service now. Even if they are internal ads that are targeted according to your watch watching habits and will help you. No, and ads are just annoying. I mean, I wish they would just take the YouTube approach of pay to just remove all ads, have no ads. Thank you very much. I don't want internal ads. I don't want... I don't want anything. Well, that's part of it too. We already pay for Netflix. You know, people are paying for Netflix rather than watching free-to-air TV because they don't have ads. But that's very, very cheap though. They could almost have they could almost have two flavors. They could have, you know, a light ad flavor, which is the current one, and then whack you another five bucks a month and you just have an absolute clean version, which is I mean it's it's huge value Netflix. It really is. I mean, I think, and uh, I bought a few Netflix shares a little while ago. One of, and you know, I think they've got they've got a lot of room left to make some money. And this, please don't ever take my financial advice. You will lose everything. So just, uh, I'm not licensed to give financial advice. But you know, the fact that it's still so cheap, I think they've got a lot of room to to go up. And make more money out of uh, sort of their users that are currently paying so much but getting sorry paying so little and getting so much. Sure, I don't, I don't know that I'm fully on board with charging more for an ad-free experience if you're already paying. Because it just separates, you know. If you can't afford it, then we're just going to blast ads at you, and it's just sort of counterproductive in a way because if you can't afford to have the ad-free experience and you're probably not going to be able to afford the products they're selling on the ads. Uh, well not yeah. probably not but you know what i'm saying like if you're if you're trying to sell something you want to sell it to people who have got the money to buy it you know and yeah, like by choice people don't though. of course yeah. of course but i don't think i like the separation between non-ad accounts and ad accounts I, don't know, I grew up in a world where books, music, movies were so expensive, relatively speaking, 
that Spotify, Netflix, YouTube Premium, they all seem so cheap to me because in my head, it was still, I remember like how infrequently I could buy a CD because it was just so expensive, relatively speaking. So for me, it's just like everything's just like, like the value is amazing. I get it though. I mean, I, I, I do get it that. Um, I have a lot of friends that, you know, don't want to upgrade to Spotify premium and and uh, they they stick with the ads. And it does create this two-tier sort of discrimination. Mm. That's what I think. But in a way, like, I know what you're saying, you get a lot for your buck, but when you think about it, you know, you're going to pay. So I think back to when I would buy CDs, for example, and I would buy one CD for $20. Right, and I'd get my twenty songs or something, so a dollar a song, right? And now I have a you know a Spotify subscription, and you know I get unlimited music every month. But you know, would I buy a CD every month? Maybe, maybe not. You know what I mean? So now you end up paying every single month for a service that yeah. you know. Yes, I enjoy, and at this stage of the game, I listen to a lot of music, so it's worth it. But you know. They're almost forcing you into paying these subscriptions endlessly every month over and over more than if you didn't have it and you were buying them, you know, per song or or per CD. And then by the time you have a Spotify subscription, then you have a Netflix subscription and every other subscription there is out there, it all adds up. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying that you wouldn't have spent if, say, you're spending 15 bucks a month on Spotify, that's... Um, you know, whatever, hundred what's hundred and fifty, sixty five hundred and eighty, whatever it is around there. You wouldn't spend that a year on CDs necessarily, even though you're getting great value for your product. Yeah. Look, I'm all for it. Like I've you know, both of them. And the thing as well is that, you know, for example, I don't actually pay for Netflix, my brother does. But he gets like however many seats he gets in there. And so, you know, it's just the way it's been set up and, you know, thanks, Scott, if you're listening. <laughs> but, you know, a Does lot of people are in. Does he listen to your podcast, Kate? Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> but he, he might if I tell him he got a shout out. But, yeah, my point is a lot of people are in the same boat, but they not everyone has their own Netflix account. So, you know, he, he's, he's the guy that pays for Netflix, you know, but, you know, he could be piggybacking off someone else's service that they pay for. So it's sort of like this sharing thing. But if yeah. you had one, if you had a subscription for every single service or entertainment service for yourself, definitely add up. Be a lot of money. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I find with Audible, I've got a subscription to Audible. And I find there are some months that, yeah, I don't use the subscription. Yeah. Um, so they, they're definitely getting value out of me. There's also obviously Amazon Prime. There's, there's all sorts of subscription services. I still think we probably probably ahead um, in terms of the old economy. And I think subscription is subscription economy is definitely going to become more and more of a thing. Businesses love it because it gives them predictable revenue. And uh, consumers, if they're getting great value, I, I would probably guess that Netflix, you're spending a lot less than you would have on movies. Um, I'm, I'm guessing most people would, but... I hear what you're saying, that, mm. that you may not have spent that in total across a year. In terms of buying, yes. Renting, like I think back to when we had Blockbuster down the street, 
and you know dad would go down there and I can't remember they had different deals on different days but sometimes you could get five movies to rent for five bucks or ten bucks or whatever it was and Mm. you wouldn't do that every week you only do that you know every now and then or depends sometimes you have a two-week rental so you'd spend your ten bucks but you've got five movies to watch over two weeks when you wanted it you know you actually ended up saving money rather than spending your 10 bucks or your 15 bucks on Netflix every month consistently. Well, I can tell you that it's also there's going to be an interesting sort of battle out there because YouTube is getting into Netflix territory as well. I've been getting little messages and I'm a YouTube premium user and I don't know if this is just for YouTube premium users, but you know, they, they're starting to put original content, they're starting to put full movies, they're starting to, they, they're sneaking into that territory. So I think the consumer is going to be spoiled for choice and it's going to keep the prices down. Oh, for sure. Disney's also competing with Netflix. They pulled all their, or pretty sure they've already pulled or they are pulling all of their um, movies off Netflix because they're going to have a competing service. Okay. And they, they've obviously got a really interesting back catalogue. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So they're going to, I think they're going to take the kids' market in a heartbeat. And then from there, who knows? But it'll be interesting. You know, you're going to have Netflix, YouTube, Disney, all with their own channels and own content competing. Could get messy. There's also Hulu in the States. Stan uh, as well. Stan. Okay. Is Stan just an Australian service? I think it's service? an Australian service. Yeah. I've been watching. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's new series on Stan. What's that called? So it's, uh, what's it called? Do you know Sasha Baron Cohen, Borat, yeah, LG? Yeah. Boy, that is a real, <laughs> that's a real eye opener, Kate. He's, he he uh, spoofs a lot of conservative politicians. Oh. And they, they obviously don't know it's him. Who is America? Who is America? That's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you like his style of comedy and you're a bit of a political person and you like to get an insight into into various uh, parts of the American economy, uh, sorry, sorry, political landscape, and I definitely don't want to turn our podcast into a political show and I don't want to get all these uh, hate tweets and everything. It's like that's not where we're going. But uh, it's entertaining. It's entertaining. And he's he's a very what's the word? He's a very very confident entertainer, Sasha Baron Cohen. You have to say like it's just there's a lot of cringy stuff that's just oh. Um, how did he get away with that? How did he and how did he get away legally getting the releases for that? Apparently, one of the tricks uh, is to get the releases before you film these things. A little bit sneaky that I don't know if that's what they do, but they would have some sort of releases because they play the stuff. For sure, for sure. I imagine they'd, well, yeah, there'd be all sorts of legal hurdles you'd have to jump through. Definitely, yeah, definitely. So anyway, I enjoy watching that. And then that's on stand, which was a bit of a pain because I had to sign up for this. And I hardly watch anything. So I don't even use my Netflix hardly. I, ABC on demand, SBS on demand. I just, I don't know. I read more and I watch YouTube and listen to YouTube more. But I had to sa- sign up for the stand service just so that I could enjoy the Sasha Baron Cohen. But then I, I'm going to cancel it. I don't know how people have so much time to watch all this stuff. But I guess somehow uh, people have different 
sort of habits in their day-to-day, I guess. And somehow I just don't have the patience to sit down and watch series. But um, um, I know a lot of people do enjoy that. Yeah, for sure. I can imagine. I haven't used Dan for a really long time, so I don't even know what they play on there anymore. Anyway, that's uh, Netflix putting some internal ads. It'll be interesting to see. Their share price has been down, Kate, and it hasn't really recovered but it's, uh, we'll see what happens. So uh, it's interesting times for Netflix. And boy, are they a textbook of uh, how they have iterated their business model and have various iterations and went from the, the old school DVDs and mailing those out right through to now the, the, you know being the leader of on-demand entertainment and their competitors like Blockbuster, just another textbook case where they just didn't keep up with the the landscape and just I think there's is there one block or maybe I'm thinking in Sydney there's one blockbuster store left or I'm trying to think there's something something somewhere left but essentially yeah blockbuster doesn't exist anymore um yeah I have no idea but I I can't imagine there's any left yeah anyway that's uh that's Netflix keep it ad free to keep uh to keep Kate happy <laughs> please <laughs> I don't even watch that much, to be honest with you. No, I wouldn't. A lot of people you. always say to me, oh, are you watching this series? Are you watching that series? Like, what's the best? And I was like, I, pff, no idea. We're going to take a short break. And after our break, we're going to come back with the interview that uh, I did with Barbara Turley, who's the founder and CEO of The Virtual Hub. And uh, we chatted about all things related to um, – Barbara's career, which was quite interesting. Barbara started out in equity trading, of all things. And um, we spoke uh, about her journey to start the virtual hub. So stick around and uh, we'll come back after this break. Hi, my name is Joe Pinto. I'm the business operations manager here at Manage Flitter. Did you know that Manage Flitter can help you quickly and cheaply build an organic following on Twitter? Let me explain in six easy steps. Step one, find new prospects on Twitter with Power Mode, Manage Flitter's advanced Twitter search feature. Step two, easily filter and sort results to find the most relevant Twitter accounts for you to follow. Step three, follow these Twitter accounts using Manage Flitter's simple interface. Step four, unfollow accounts that do not follow you back within 14 days. Step five, Watch your Twitter follower numbers grow as high-quality accounts follow you back. Step 6. Rinse and repeat to maintain consistent organic Twitter account growth. Feel free to drop by manageflitter.com to trial our product or email us at contact at manageflitter.com to schedule an obligation-free walkthrough. You're back with It's a Monkey podcast. My name is Kevin Garber. We chat about everything related to tech and the tech economy, and we interview thought leaders in the entrepreneurial world. And usually we have uh, interviews that I do on Skype because we, we like to chat to people across the big wide world. But every now and then we're lucky enough to find someone that's in our backyard. Today is such a day, and I'm excited to say with me in our downtown Sydney studio, I have Barbara Turley, who's Although she's based in Sydney, she's one from one of my favorite towns. It's, it's a city. 
it's a small city uh, in the world, uh, Dublin. Barbara is the founder and CEO of the Virtual Hub, and I'm happy and excited to have her uh, on the podcast today. Welcome, Barbara. Thanks so much for having me. So before we get before we get into all the exciting Virtual Hub, which is your your current business and uh, your your current project, so to speak. You interestingly come from an equities trader background, which is um, a little bit unusual, dare I say, even particularly for um, a female startup entrepreneur. I, I would say equity trading is probably still dominated um, by, by men. By men. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and um, how did you land up in equity trading? You know, it's funny. I originally, when I was at school, I actually wanted to be a doctor. I mm -hmm. really wanted to be a doctor, but I had this obsession with uh, neurology. I sort of saw myself as some sort of neuroscientist. I was into all that stuff. The truth was, I didn't get into medicine. Right? Mm -hmm. I left school. I, I got almost enough points in my in my final year, but I didn't get enough to get in, and I just didn't have the patience to go back and repeat. So I decided that I would go and do an economics degree. I would do an arts degree and I'd do that for a year and see how I got on. And I absolutely loved it. And then I was working in a restaurant in Dublin and there was this bunch of currency traders that used to come in every Thursday night. <laughs> right. And I just got interested in what they were doing. And um, one of them said to me, hey, why don't you come and spend a summer on the desk with us? And like a, like a sort of an internship thing. Uh -huh. And I, look, I was hooked. I just got there. I was in that room and it was so dynamic and fast. Adrenaline. And, everything I wanted in a job and I just desperately wanted to be a trader but I was told early on that girls are never going to be traders is that right yeah and that just lit a fire in my belly that I was going to do it and I did manage to get in I did manage to have a 10-year career doing that so yeah do you still love equities I do. I did trade my own money for a while, uh -huh. which was a, a crazy but enjoyable journey. And at some point in my life, I'd love to get back to that. But it is very much a, a full time job. Like I love options trading and I love I love all that sort of world. Oh, that's yeah, that's that's yeah. real adrenaline uh, stuff. Well, derivatives. yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of risk management you can mm. do in that, which I quite like. So sometime in my life, I think I'll get back to that. But right now I'm busy as a mom of a two year old and uh, busy as a, a kind of a mom to my my. Uh, startup project, which is the virtual hub. I've always been fascinated by equities. I mean, I grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa, and obviously the the resources there and the gold mining. But um, you know, more recently, all the tech equities, and it's it's really uh, the concept that anyone can have access or a little piece of these incredible companies. You know, you can be a teenager with a part-time job and put 50 bucks a week into Facebook shares or index fund. I mean, it's really one of the real successes of capitalism, these equity markets. Yeah, and also I think the next stage of it, though, just, just thinking about, you know, kids putting money away, financial literacy hasn't caught up. That's a lot of the issue. So people are very scared of, you know, people find out, oh, you were an equity trader. Wow, it's like I was some sort of... Magician. Voodoo magician. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's actually, it's it's something that you have to study and you've got to spend yeah. time thinking about. And once you understand money at its core, it's a lot easier to get your head around currency trading, equity trading, even property investment or anything, you know, startup investing, anything. You have to understand how money works. That's that's the trick. So what do you miss most about Dublin? I've been to Dublin once many, many years ago. I loved it. Some of the friendliest people in the world. I think Irish people are just fantastic. 
I'm sure, yeah, it's, it's got very mystical weather. When I was there, there was a lot of mist and fog. Oh, I don't miss the weather. Um, <laughs> I hated the weather. It was fun for a week, but yes, I could see living there. But is there anything that you actually miss there besides uh Look, I'll Not be honest, I don't really. Look, uh-huh. I love Dublin, I love Ireland. I hated the weather, although uh-huh. they are having an Indian summer at the moment and uh-huh. everyone is like sweating because it's 26 degrees every day and everyone's out in bikinis. Um, I really miss my family. Uh-huh. Uh, I miss being able to go back home for a few days. Like when you live in Sydney, it's far. So you have to go for like Everything's two weeks. A mission. Yeah, or three yeah. weeks and it's very yeah. tiring. So I do miss that, yeah. But they're an interesting, you know, they, they, they're such interesting storytellers, Irish people, you know. Yeah, it they, is a mystical kind of land. And there's a, warmth, there's a warmth and a delight in them. Maybe I've just sort of glamorized them, you no, know. No, I think it is true. I mean, I think in Ireland, there's such a massive, like culture is so, I mean, not saying Australia is lacking culture. It has different culture. But I do miss the kind of deep cultural vibe that goes on mm. in Europe in general throughout throughout the whole of Europe really um Ireland has a has a kind of a charm to it you know and if you look at the amount of uh, music that gets churned out yeah. of Ireland totally disproportional to its population absolutely I, mean, I don't know how we became such a successful nation in terms of music but it's very that's what I mean about the cultural thing it's like just ingrained in our culture the music and dance and even Riverdance was so epic, that, that whole journey that happened with Riverdance. And yeah, everyone from, from Van Morrison to Glenn Hansard to obviously the U2s and it's, it's the, the, the impact in the, the sort of uh, contemporary music landscape is, is so disproportional. It's quite interesting. But anyway, let's, uh, let's, let's move away from, from all of that and let's talk about um, your current project the virtual hub you started in 2015 um you based in sydney tell us a little bit about the virtual hub what was the inspiration what's it about where you at with it um fill us in sure yeah so the virtual hub you know being on a tech podcast people are probably wondering oh my god is that some sort of virtual reality thing it's actually not it is simply we recruit train and manage virtual assistants in the digital marketing sort of implementation space Mm -hmm. in the Philippines for businesses all around the world. So it is a virtual company in that respect, in that our clients are everywhere. Um, How it started, I, when I left my corporate career, I became a business coach for a while. I was Mm -hmm. doing a lot of consulting. And I found that all the businesses I was doing consulting to, they were all typically small businesses. They all had the same problem. It didn't matter whether they were a local swim school in Sydney Mm -hmm. or like a coach selling online programs in the States. Mm -hmm. None of them had any time. They were trying to do everything themselves. They didn't have money to hire people locally. Um, They didn't know how to hire people or delegate. And I started recruiting VAs for them in the Philippines as a kind of a side gig, just to help them out and to help us to kind of move forward. And then I realized that there was a lot more work that needed to be done in this space because although I was recruiting good VAs, a lot of people couldn't get success with them. And a lot of that came down to people's inability to actually build systems, processes, teams and scalable business models. There's a difference between running a nice little business that produces an income and creating something that gives you is scalable 
and or gives you entrepreneurial freedom because none of us go into business even if you want a lifestyle business you're not going into it to work seven days a week 15 hours a day what's interesting many years ago and you know so i've had a, a couple of businesses that have led me to where i am today but many years ago with my first business i remember i was working day and night and i i was a one-man band and um, i remember calling my one friend late at night and saying I've created a sweatshop for myself. You've created Frankenstein. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's terrible. And I reached a point where I thought I either need to go and get a job because this is not fun or I need to grow and scale. And and, and I, both I, are scary, actually, because you don't sure. want to go back sometimes, but to go forward can be... Well, there's a lot of risk. You, a lot of you pain know, to go through to get forward. You, you know, I invested savings to try and move forward and luckily it all worked out. But I, I certainly understand that pain. But so... Tell me from a customer's point of view. So if we're a small business and I'll come to the virtual hub and I can find a VA, whether it's I want someone an hour a day full time, but you've essentially got a pool of pre-qualified, competent people that I can yeah. work with. So we do have a minimum. So mm -hmm. I made a decision back. I sort of toyed with that one hour a day thing back in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, our minimums are 20 hours a week. And the reason we do that is because feedback from a lot of it came from the VA side that they find it very difficult and to very scattering sure. to get anything done and when you offer just a couple of hours you find entrepreneurs who are a little bit there's a mindset shift that you have to make when, when you're early in business between cost and investment yep. and the ones that are trying to do that I just need a VA for three hours a week they're usually trying to shove a six hour a week job down right. the throat of a Fair VA enough. and if you have 10 of those it's a disaster so that was number one. Uh, we do try. There's an and overhead to having a client relationship. There's yeah. an overhead to to managing a client properly. Yeah. So we do try to convince people that you know a minimum of twenty hours. If you're running a business and you can't find twenty hours of work to get an admin person to do for you, yep. you're probably either too early anyway, or yep. you know you're not really taking it serious enough. And There's what, so much to do. And what type of skills do the VAs have? Because obviously in today's world, it's you know, it's something like video editing can get very complex. Social media management can get very complex. How far sort of what's the scope of the skills that a VA will bring? Yes. So we're very clear at the Virtual Hub with clients around what we do and what we don't do and what to expect. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things I noticed in the market, when you go looking for a VA in the direct market, a lot of them, particularly in the Philippines, for example, mm -hmm. you'll get them putting resumes forward that say they know how to do everything. Yep. They actually don't really, or right. they may have had a little bit of experience. Right. So how we've eradicated this problem is we actually go out to market and we're a little bit different from competitors in this way. We go out to the market and we're looking for a type of person. Mm -hmm. We're not necessarily looking for a skill set because you can teach the skill set. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for a type of person. Sometimes they have no experience. And then we bring them through a deep training program with us where we have created our own processes that clients are free to use if they want because a lot of clients don't have their own processes for certain things. Mm -hmm. So we give them to the client as well. And the VAs are all trained in that kind of thing. So then you can come to us. Our success rate is pretty high because of that. We also specialize in platforms like Entreport, Active Campaign, HubSpot, mm -hmm. Infusionsoft. Mm -hmm. Because what we find with those platforms, while we recommend that clients who are using those platforms do understand them themselves, mm -hmm. there's an awful lot of tinkering to be done just to even get an email up in one of those platforms. Mm -hmm. Sure. 
that a business owner shouldn't be doing themselves. So VAs do all of that sort of stuff for you. Tools have become a big part of everyday life, right, in businesses, whether it's social media tools, email marketing tools, marketing tools, recruitment tools, um, updating websites. They get overwhelmed, I find, that clients, you know, they're like, yeah, I love that idea, I've just no time to implement. Mm. So we often work with clients if if there's a new tool or something that they're keen on, they can just let us know and in the background we're going to do the training with the VA to a certain extent, depends what the tool is, but something like your tool, Manage Flitter, that we were talking about, you know, we would probably look at that tool and maybe try and, you know, train our VAs to roll that out to clients. So we we actually present ideas to clients through our VA pool. They can actually present those ideas down to the clients. As we new actually do happen. see, I, I get notified when there's a mention of Manage Flitter on the web or on social, and every now and then I see a, a job ad for a VA that actually says, you know, must have managed flitter experience. So, oh, well, I'll definitely be training our <laughs> VAs on that then if people are looking for it. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely. Um, and so you've you've built, so you actually have a physical office in the Philippines. Yes, we do. Yeah, um, yeah. we did start with a work from home model, mm-hmm. and we do have a large pool of VAs that are still work from home. But I moved away from that model a year ago because a number of reasons. But basically, I just felt in order to build an employee brand in the Philippines, because I actually have our own company over there and all the VAs are employees of our company. Um, so they all have health care and we provide all the benefits. So they get a lot of extra benefit from that. Uh, but it was from a business perspective, it's easier for me to grow a larger company if I have an office-based um, VA pool. I think this is what some uh, early entrepreneurs don't realize, that finding and retrain and retaining talent is within the top three of your challenges, right? I think people that, that haven't yet gone on the entrepreneurial journey, a lot of them focus on the idea, the idea, the idea, and then maybe the funding. But you know, to actually structure your business so that you attract the right people is incredibly important. It's something I think about a lot and something I would like to much get get a lot better at is building our brand within the communities that we're going to hire from. So you attract. So what you want to have is a, is a brand. And actually, I only learned this from building the virtual hub that we all focus on the brand to the client that we're trying to get. Exactly. But we've now built a persona for our VAs. So we have a persona for the, our ideal client and we all, his name is Tom. We even, we even have named him. And we're currently building a persona for our ideal type of VA in the Philippines. And we're building an entire brand around that in the Philippines to attract that person to our brand. And that feeds on itself because then you have uh, high quality employees, which leads to happy customers, which builds on itself. But yeah. yes, it's something that's, um, it's, it's definitely in the tech industry, it's, 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 there's so much competition and that's why, you know, the Googles and the Facebooks and the Atlassians. They did that really well. That's and they what throw done. a huge amount of money at it, right? Mm. Everything from giving them workplaces that that take care of all their day-to-day needs right through to the fact. I mean, Google have people on, on million-dollar salaries where they actually have no fixed job description. And they actually say to them, right, just, just do something that trickles down through to the product. They don't want them working for their competitors. So I've thought about doing that actually with RVAs. I've read the I've uh-huh. read a couple of books on this and I've thought, wow, I'd love to just say to them, you know, if they want, like I'll pay you for two or three hours a week and you can 
bring any idea that you think would help the virtual hub locally to the table, be it social media ideas, or if you want to take a video in the office, or you think there's a cool concept. And I think, you know, and I'll say to them, if you want to do that, you can do whatever you like, and we'll pay you for it. But you have to, it has to be of well, benefit to build a brand. Google's got its 20% time for all its team members with so they can spend 20% of their time on something that's not di- directly directly related to their work but they but they have some people where it's even the next step where they just don't want their competitors to to hire these people they may not have any work for them um, directly but they would rather just have them on the Google payroll. I keep people sometimes when a client cancels and uh-huh. I know we've got a rock star I'm like I them. just hang on to them yeah. I've even said to someone one just take a week off yeah. just I've nothing for them to do but I need to keep them because Look, one thing we've done well, I'm not totally sure how I've achieved this. I need to look into it. But our we don't have a churn rate, which a lot of our competitors do. Mm-hmm. So we, I've had people that have been working for us for three, four years. So our VA pool is very stable. Mm-hmm. And when people join, we're very focused on the longevity of the people that join the company. So there is quite a lot of culture stuff that's going on in the company in the Philippines, which I'm really enjoying that part of the business now of, of, of bringing that in. And it's not all focused on just churning clients and churning VAs. So do you travel a lot to the Philippines? I'm afraid I don't. Mm-hmm. I would love to go more often, but having a two-year-old and look, I my journey with this business, it's four years old. Mm-hmm. I have a two-year-old. So as you can imagine, I had pregnancy during the time as well. So I've been, uh, I was there in April this year, so just a few months ago. I would love to go every quarter, but I've only been twice. Right. But I have a very strong team on the ground over there, so... How's the whole uh, managing the whole motherhood and entrepreneurship journey? Yeah, look, lots of people will be listening to this going, is she mad? But something I'm very passionate about, particularly in the women entrepreneur scene, and one day I'd love to come out and speak more openly about this, is that you can be a mother and be an entrepreneur, but you need to get really good at building systems, processes and teams. Because one of my goals was to make sure that I could actually be a mother and take time out and I don't work, I still to this day, I don't work full time. I'm a part-time mom, part-time entrepreneur, but I've built a team of 100 people in the Philippines. It's a seven figure business and it's growing massively. But I have a great team that I've empowered to, they report to me and I give advice and mentorship, but I don't actually do any of the doing anymore in the business. And that's the trick. And I think the culture of busyness, which has been such a thing up until now in our world needs to change, you know, and I, and I, oh, don't get me wrong. I am busy. <laughs> I, I wish I wasn't as busy, but sometimes it's, I've taken on a lot. Yeah. You, you might be busy, but you're obviously very productive. Yeah. I'm very right? strategic. And, about what and I'm this doing. is what I keep saying to our team is just don't confuse busyness with productivity. Yes. And we have to, and in your case, you don't have the luxury of just being busy. You need to be productive because there's not enough bandwidth to go around to be busy if it's not being productive sometimes you only have two hours in the day and my god mothers get very very strategic during that time and then i always think to myself every time i'm doing something if i have to do it more than once i'm like i shouldn't be doing this i I can delegate this and i but i have to work with my team to create a process and then slowly migrate it to them but then once they take it over and the reporting lines back to me are set it's me just having a huddle every day. We have daily huddles all the time. Well, I think this is also so important for CEOs and entrepreneurs to realize, and any team member, to realize our own strengths and limitations. Like, for instance, I'm really bad at process, 
right? I'm really good at strategy. I'm really good at creative. I'm really good at uh, um, sort of, um, you know, complex team issues. But process, I find it bores me. Yeah, I it find is boring. It frustrating. And some of our team members, like Joe, who's actually just gone on maternity leave, um, she's a process genius. I was about she, to say, if you have someone on your team that it. loves it, it's like an operations person. And then what you need to do is have meetings with them about the vision, the strategy, and then get their job is to process and systemize and report back to you on what that looks like, who it's being delegated to, and then the involvement of a process. Because when you makes, create one first, it's always a mess, right? So, And it makes so much sense and it helps everyone and it's so good and I can see the value of it, you know, but I'm so bad at it that even sometimes I'll say, you know, I'll say to Joe that, I don't even want to update the spreadsheet in the system. I'm going to talk to you. And why, you but why should it. you update the press? Like, why should you be doing that? You're well, the creative, right? So you should never be having to do those things. You, you need somebody to be doing that for you. That would be what I would say. Absolutely. And it's so I think, and I don't know if it's, a, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs tend to be bad at process. It probably varies across the no, board. No, I, think, I, I think on the whole, they probably are. Like, I'm quite a system-minded person uh-huh. I just think I'm naturally like that I'm not naturally entrepreneurial uh-huh. I'm more like um, I heard a podcast recently where somebody was talking about the role of a COO uh-huh. I'm like that person right I could take anybody's vision are you looking for a job <laughs> I know <laughs> but I've thought like you know I could sit down with any entrepreneur and say you just tell me what the vision is uh-huh. right and I'll just turn that into your operations uh-huh. and, and roll it out but I've done that in my own And I think one of the reasons I've been successful with the virtual hub is because I've listened to the vision of the clients, the VAs across the board. And I've just, I just didn't even look at competitors. I just built what I heard from the market and I systemized it up and I've refined it to the point where it's really working well. And I think that's where my strength lies. I've realized it by accident. But you're obviously good at um, vision and strategy as well. To actually yes, make I am good happen. at that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I wouldn't be the type of person to sit down and... I, you know, come up with a totally off the wall, innovative right. idea, and then want to go out and build that. Right. I, I so like not, solving you're, you're problems. You're not like a crazy scientist. Or, no, no. So what? So what? What are your other weaknesses in terms of that you're aware of in terms of on the business side of things? Yeah. So one of my biggest weaknesses. Uh, well, I don't know if it's a weakness, but it's something I have to work a little bit hard at. Mm. I am very. Um, my team say you don't sugarcoat anything, Barb. Yeah. Right. So sometimes I can be a little bit too direct and a bit. I take things too personally because right. I, I just love it so much that, right. you know, when a client gives feedback that's bad, I go into a spasm for about two days. Uh, I don't know any business owner that, hate take, it. Yeah. that receives, you know, f- uh, negative feedback that, that it doesn't hit us at, it's at our core. I know. think, well, for example, an area I'm very bad at. I'm brilliant at sales. Mm-hmm. I'm great at getting the client in and listening to what they want. I have no interest in maintaining Mm-hmm. So I don't, I'm not good at customer support. Mm-hmm. I have no patience for people who want to whinge. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I, I would be a little bit too sharp in my, mm-hmm. so I have to make sure I'm not involved in customer support. Because I'm like, what the hell is their problem? You know, I'm a bit too that, like that. Explain to me how that fits in with the Irish culture. Irish, <laughs> yeah, we're fiery, right? I'm really fiery. They're a bit fiery, but they're not, they're not really rude, direct No, people, we're just fiery. Right? Right. But sometimes because... Like, I'm fiery, Passionate. so it can be a little bit abrasive. Right. Some people get a little bit, you know. But that's d- very different to the English culture, right? Because aren't the English more, you don't really know what they're thinking, a little bit more like... They're more reserved. A bit more yeah. reserved, which is a little bit more Australian as yeah. well. Yeah, probably, actually. I'm more like, I'm just going to say it like it is. And some people don't like that, though. So, 
from a business perspective, it's better to keep me away from. I'm not great at the client facing right. role in the back end. Okay. The front end, great. Getting people inspired about the product and get them in, great. But once they're in, it's better for my team to deal with that because it's not. It wouldn't be my strength. I have to really focus to to manage that area. Okay, interesting. Mm. Yeah, again, I I don't see that as necessarily a weakness. I can certainly see some areas. I mean, I, for instance, when I chat to my team members, sometimes I can feel, I can feel the directness meter, and I'm thinking where where do I position this needle? Yeah. You know, because I don't want to create an emotional reaction in them that means we can't focus on the issue, but at the same time, I need to be quite direct so we can deal with the issue. Yeah, and get it out. Mm, like, so I'm like, out. if there's an elephant in the room, I'm going to call it, right? Or yeah. if, um, yeah, so that, that's been an area that for me, I've been back and forth. I mean, customer support's a tricky area to, outs- to delegate. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks it's the first thing you'll delegate, but it needs a lot of process and it needs a lot of, of training the, on the, the product, voice, the company, the, product, yeah, the, yeah. the brand voice yeah. that you're trying to emulate, all that sort of stuff. So it has been hard to, I've delegated it now and it's working well, but in the early days I was getting too involved and I was bringing too much emotion into that area. Whereas, probably because I care about it. Whereas if I delegate it, they just follow process, they know the voice and they just do it, right? So there's no, too, not too much emotion in that area. Yeah, interesting. It's, uh, I think um, the good and bad side of uh, founder-led companies is that emotional attachment. And yes. I think they even did a study with listed companies and listed companies that are still run and managed by the founders, such as Google, Facebook, Twitter, um, tend to have a better return. Yeah. than the non-founder managed companies, which makes sense. You care that, more. You care so deeply. Look, that, that emotional attachment is, yeah, it's, it's you, you've literally sweated blood, sweat and tears. So that emotional attachment is, is still there. And um, I, I also believe in, now I think this is a strength, but it can be a weakness. Mm-hmm. I believe so deeply in people. Mm-hmm. Like with our VAs, sometimes I can see there's a person who has who's great, and they need me to believe. They need me to believe, right? Yeah, they need me to believe in them until they believe in themselves. But the challenge that I've had is sometimes I've seen potential in people that they don't see in themselves, and they don't buy into their own potential for whatever reason. You may not get over that hurdle though, and Mm. you may. So I've hung on for too long. And I find it very hard to let people go. I've mm. I've really struggled with that over the years. And being in a people business, I've had to learn how to be more objective. So now these days we have strong metrics around KPIs mm-hmm. so that I can take the emotion away. And I'm not actually the one who makes that decision. I've got other people that look at the metrics and decide based on feedback and stuff whether we should let somebody go. And I don't even get involved because it's too hard for me. The first time... Um we did a restructure and I had to make a role redundant. I didn't sleep for two weeks. It's terrible. And yeah. it, it was one of the most challenging conversations. I've, I've since had to go through that a few times. It's never fun. No. I don't like that feeling like I'm playing God and affecting people's lives. But, you know, I, I always say... So you have to run a business. It's hard. You have hard. to run a business. Yeah. And part of a CEO's role is you are the one that has to have the difficult conversations. Absolutely, yeah. That's... That's so I find that really hard as yeah. well, yeah. I, I think it's it's an area I don't know if I'll ever be able to get good at. <laughs> well, so. I think, funnily enough, one of your countrymen, Bono, he's, you know, he says some interesting things. In one line in his song, he says, and I think it was referring to fame, mm. 
And he said, there are some things in life you just should never get too good at, you know, implying yeah. that it means that you have to harden up too much. You've lost your humanity or you. And I think he's referring to fame that, you know, if you become too good at fame, it means you started to believe your own bullshit. And I think the same thing around, um, you know, re redundancies and things like that. If you if you if you reach a point where you really don't care about how this is impacting people's lives, that's that's a problem. Right. Actually, you know, funnily enough, what we have done, mm -hmm. I've just realized as you were talking, and this is about process evolution as well, in order to solve the problem of us all feeling like this, because my team feel it as well, what we actually did is we went back to the recruitment process mm -hmm. and we said to ourselves, if somebody's not going to make it, right, and we know that there's going to be client feedback that's going to be a bit, you know, even if they've got the, it's, it's better for us to let them go before they come in mm. because it's fairer on them and it's fairer on us and it's fairer on everyone. So we've actually refined our, recru our recruiting process is very hard to get through, but we've kind of eradicated the problem because these days we get people, like most of our people are great, so we're doing well and we don't have to face those hard conversations six months down the track. I think Jack Welsh, who was a very famous CEO of um, General Electric, mm. in his book, he spoke about a, quite a controversial policy that he had where the top 10% based on feedback every year would get promoted and, and the bottom 10% of the staff would get let go. Right, and a lot of people, you know, he criticized. He was criticized for being very brutal and etc. And he said, "Look, who wants who wants to be one of the bottom 10% in a company?" He says, "I'm freeing them to go be the top 10% somewhere else." Yeah, you know. So I wonder, is there? Oh, this is me being. This is my weakness coming out. I was immediately thinking I would take that 10% and I would bring them back in the pool and mentor them again, and let them try again. If after a while you're not getting it, fair enough. But it's a judgment call, right? I'm, I'm, I, I can feel, like I said, maybe it's not a weakness, maybe it's a strength. But I struggle with it that I always hang on for a little bit too long. Mm. And know? I think it's a common. I think I think you hear a lot of entrepreneurs say that you know once they do hang on a little bit too long yeah. because you've invested so much. There's a lot of uh, sunk cost in there. But I think also you know on the it's emotional. It's more emotional. The sunk cost I can cope with. Right. It's more the emotional. Like, although I've got a lot of people, I know all of them. Yeah. And I think, you know, I just find that that hard. I will I will want to hang on to anyone. I mean, I face on the recruitment side of things, there's a known bias that we try to recruit people that reflect our own values and worldview. But yet there's also the view that you've got to follow your gut, right? So yeah. I sit in some hiring meetings and... If I feel my gut doesn't feel right, I say, right, is that my gut not feeling right? Or is that just because they have a different worldview and it's that bias coming into play? I think you've interviewed a lot of people, right? You a lot go, of people. You've interviewed a lot of people. And I think what I've learned over, I've interviewed a massive, and I actually don't interview anymore because mm -hmm. my team did come to me one day and they said, Barb, we don't think you should interview anymore because you want to give everyone a job. Mm -hmm. They're way more, because more, they're Filipinos as well. But you so see the they, potential in all of them. I see potential in everyone. But I think when you've been through a lot of people, these days, I just, even when I watch, they do these little loom videos. We mm -hmm. make them do like, you know, answer weird off the wall questions. And I see those videos and I just know straight away. I don't know what see, it is. I've just got an intuition these days about who's going to make it and who's not. You see, for technical roles, it's a little bit different, mm. right? Because you've got these two parallel universes. You've got their, their underlying technical ability, which is an incredibly important part of the job, which isn't, it's usually not something you can, you can't coach see that. them significantly yeah. into. And then you have 
the human aspect. And mm. the human aspect, so for non-technical roles, I can sit with someone five minutes. Like Kate, who is my co-host on this podcast, within the first two minutes of her internship chat with me. You knew. Yeah. I wanted I wanted her to be part of the team. She was organized, she was professional, her vibe was very thorough, she was solid, she was non-fluffy, she was smart, she was all the little things, you know, you pick up all the little things, whether it's, you know, the, the time they arrive before the interview, the way they present, the way they, like, you read between all the lines. The but body the, language even, the you body can see language. lots, yeah. But with the technical, with the technical team, um, it's a whole, technical hiring is a whole different story, you know, because... Sometimes someone that's technically absolutely brilliant if is you inept in other ways. <laughs> well, even if they're not inept, but if they're ordinary in other mm. ways, sometimes it's okay. And sometimes yeah. it can be a huge benefit to the company if they're contributing. So it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a um, a, a trade off that has to be considered. So the technical hiring is a is, is a different thing. It's a whole yeah. different world. Mm. Yeah. It's um but the, the non technical I agree with you. I can certainly I can absolutely tell you can you can who's going to be a fit for the team yeah you, you can feel it um so what's the next step for you guys so at the moment, like I said, we're sort of at 100 people now. Um, we have a, a base in an office in Cebu in the Philippines, which is a beautiful beach location. Amazing. Mm-hmm. If anyone ever wants to go visit there, we actually have clients that have come to visit. But we're looking at now we're looking at our Manila strategy of uh, opening offices in Manila. We'd like to have both. And look, the strategy now we've built to get to 100 people is like the kind of look, 50 people, I think, is the beta test. Mm-hmm. When you get through 50 to 100 people, we now have something that is like we've got a well-oiled machine. It's mm-hmm. working really well. And for me, the goal is to go to 500 people. So that's my next sort of next stop, 500 people with two bases, Cebu, Manila. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm deep into this right now. I'm really enjoying it now. So I want to, you change people's lives in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Like they tell you this, that you actually change their lives when you change their careers and you give them new opportunity and I, I think, love all that. I think that's, you know, the wonderful difference between developed countries like Australia where there's way more jobs available than there are people, professionally at least, and developing countries where there's way more people than there are jobs. And I grew up in South Africa where it was a similar situation where if you gave someone a job, you absolutely change their lives. Yeah, you change their family as well. You, you, you know. change everything about their life. And um, it's it's a wonderful feeling that to be able to enable that. that you know, change. watching also small businesses move out of overwhelm uh-huh. is a massive impact as well. And I think, you know, I, we've got a twofold kind of mission and I want to eradicate small business overwhelm mm-hmm. by helping people to delegate effectively, get their systems running and get the engine of their business kind of delegated, basically. And then watching people in the Philippines who probably would not have a chance of getting any other career if they're stuck in the call center industry. It's very hard for them to get a new career. Mm. Um, and we provide that. We actually provide opportunity for we're looking for really smart people that we know we can mold and they that we are getting people flocking to us because of that. It's just very hard to get in, but we're creating impact on both sides of that vision. And so it's not just about the client. It's about the, the the culture we want to build in the Philippines as well. And your business is bootstrapped. You don't have any... No investors. investors. It was profitable from day one. Mm-hmm. Any The last year has been tough because any money I've made pretty much, I've reinvested it back in, but mm-hmm. that's to... I've had to create a platform to grow mm-hmm. and we've given I've given a lot back to the Philippines because I basically rolled out private health cover for everyone mm-hmm. 
pension payments for everyone, sick leave, everything. So they get all the benefits that they're due as an employee, basically. And I think there's there's such a worship of the model of investment at the moment. And I think it's good to for people listening to this that there are other ways of building a business and not every business is appropriate for funding and for VC funding and for angel funding. There are ways to build up businesses incrementally. Absolutely. You just have to be resourceful. You have to... Strategic. Uh, yeah, smart about things. And there are a huge amount of benefits to actually not having investors. One of the things... Uh, feedback that I get in traveling the world and going to conferences and people say, do you have investors? And I say, no. One of the most common responses, you are so lucky. <laughs> Look, I'm from people. the investment world, right? right? I'm from the investment world. I have invested in startups myself. So I have been an angel investor in some fintech startups that did require investors. Uh-huh. And I have always said that if you can get away with not getting investors, do not get investors because you have a whole other challenge on your hands in that you've got other people to manage unless somebody's going to invest in your business and bring with them expertise to the table that's going to catapult like the guys that go on shark tank you know they're actually looking not necessarily for the money they're looking for the distribution channels that you know janine alice and all these people can can open up for them for their business but you need the click right so you need to click if you've got if you've mm. got the click that they can bring more than money Great. More than money. Money is, you don't want to just go for the money. But you want you more do, than money. But if you don't have the click as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, I'm not to say one model wins, but but there are multiple ways of building businesses. So Absolutely, you know, yeah. if, it, if you can't get funding. Somebody asked me recently, why don't you just get funding and like just explode the thing really quickly? I was like, firstly, I don't want to. Secondly, I don't think I have to. And yeah. thirdly, I actually want to build a company that I've built. I want to bootstrap it. I want to, I've got to 100 people now. I know I can get to 500 people and I know I can build something that didn't destroy my life. I was able to be a mom and I built something that created massive impact. And that's kind of what I want to achieve. And then it makes me a stronger speaker thereafter to say, you don't have to go the route that everyone tells you. Like you can, you don't have to drive yourself into the ground either just to build something. Yeah, look, and there's a lot of emotion attached to money as well. Once you take people's money on board, you have to take it incredibly seriously. Creates uh, a lot of anxiety. A lot me. of anxiety means one thing losing your own money and risking your own money. It's another thing losing other people's money, even if it's institutional money. It doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's Now, other some businesses, money. though, like without money, you can't actually build it. Sure. You know, you need some money and that's fine. But again, you want to really think clearly and interview a lot of people that are willing to give you money. Sometimes it's only one person who's willing to give you the money and maybe you have to. But yeah, I just think think, think strategically about it. Great. Barbara, it's been wonderful talking with you. How do people connect with you? Are you on Twitter? Are you on LinkedIn? I'm on LinkedIn. You can connect with me there. I think I am on Twitter, but I was, as Should I was talking to you Twitter. about, I'm going to get this managed flitter thing going. And You know, it'll be great. You'll probably be, see me more on Twitter. It'd be great for a whole variety of reasons to raise your profile. Twitter's, yeah, Twitter's just a such a, um, a wonderful platform and, I, and, and uh, that's why I build a business around it because it's, it's actually, it really yeah. is a powerful platform. So just to echo what I've been saying through this whole interview, if you want to connect, the best way to do it is go to thevirtualhub.com uh-huh. and you can book a call. We've got two outsourcing strategy consultants. Uh, one of our guys is in Australia. We've got one in Ireland. So although you won't get to speak to me, they speak to me every day. So you get to speak to one of them and they can really ascertain, you know, can we help you, what your needs are and how our VAs can actually help a business. But you can get me on LinkedIn though. I wish you were around like 15, 20 years ago when I was just starting out. I know. 
man, was I struggling with all these bits and pieces. And, and so many people are still today. Mm. They still are. And it's just actually a new product I'm, I'm working on at the moment is an operations Kickstarter program. Because what I'm finding is that some people think, oh, I'll just get a VA. I'm like, that. just getting a VA is not going to solve sometimes the problem because you've gone so far that you've got no operational mm. thing. So we can roll out like a load of processes into someone's business and then get it delegated effectively to a VA. You can do it yourself, but we're also building an actual paid product for that. Look, it's very easy for people to to simplify the solution. Like some people say to me, why don't you, why don't you just get a general manager that will take care of everything? I'll be like, Oh, wow! If only you yeah, were it's not simple. that simple. It's not that simple. No. So, um, but yeah, well, you're on LinkedIn, Barbara Turley, who's the founder and the CEO at the Virtual Hub. Good luck with it all. It sounds like you've had an incredible journey, and and congratulations on your success as well. I mean, it's difficult to to reach this point, even with funding, without funding, as a mum based in Sydney. So, congratulations on all your success, you. and and may it continue. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. Kate, it's interesting. Barbara started out in equity training and and something that's... Even today, you don't meet that many women involved in equity trading and and, and she's now now built up her successful successful, uh, virtual hub. Yeah, I mean, she maintained a 10-year career in equity trading before she started as an entrepreneur. It's all like all around quite impressive. Yeah, so uh, have you ever used virtual assistant? No, I haven't. <laughs> you Maybe could probably one day do when, it, I, right? when I have a, a business to run. But at the moment, I don't, I don't need a virtual assistant right now. You've got, you got to distribute a team that you plug into. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think there's so many great tools these days. I know people that use virtual assistants to reply to their emails and to do all sorts of bits and pieces. I, the, the idea is the idea is there. Um, I think it depends very much on who you like. With any resource, the right one could really get into your life and manage so much for you, right? Yeah, especially if they they knew your preferences and your business and your processes things like that and I know Barbara mentioned that the virtual hub actually trains trains them in these processes and a lot of the time the clients don't have the processes in place yet so they can just adopt her ones but yeah like if somebody was able to learn and get it right then it would be invaluable yeah and I think I think some of the new AI tools that Google and and Android provide, they, they try to become your virtual assistant in a way. Like, uh, you know, Google's giving you suggested replies to emails. Do you get that in your emails? Yes, I have started to get them. Um, just like really simple ones, um, like sure or thanks, stuff like that. But they're always relevant, so I've been quite impressed with them. 
Yeah, and on my Android phone, I get them on text messages as well, those suggestions, which are actually on text, they're actually more useful than email because email, you tend to want to write elaborate, proper responses. But on text, often you're happy to say, no worries, sure, see you soon, etc. So I've been loving them on text. I don't, uh, I, I like almost don't write text messages anymore. I'm just hitting the suggestions the whole time and it's great. It's just, it's having the, it's almost at the point where I trusted to have the conversation on my behalf, almost at that point because it gets it right every time. So it depends what you're looking for. Like if it does a, um, as you said, like a text message or like just pinging someone for work or something, that's fine. If you're having a chat, though, it's not quite the same. You know how people used to say, I'll get your people to talk to my people, talk with my people. And soon we're going to have, I'll get your AI assistant to talk with my, my AI assistant and they'll work out a date and time, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's kind of what they were getting at with the, I think it was at the Google conference where they made the AI made the phone calls to uh-huh. the hairdresser and booked the appointment. Uh-huh. But exactly. in return, the hairdresser won't answer the phone. Like, they're, she'll have an AI that answers the phone, and the two of them will make an appointment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're all just going to have machines talking with machines, and I don't know what humans are we going to be doing. But, uh, yeah, it's very, very interesting. But, but uh, yeah, look, a virtual assistant, I... I think they would need to do that. They would need to learn your habits, your your requests over time. And I think some of them are, you know, would. I think a lot of Barbara's virtual assistants are, are trained up in social media as well and to help with uh, updating social, which has become a big part of 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 uh, especially small business. A lot of bits and pieces to do. A lot of bits and pieces these days. Um, that need to be done, and uh, we don't need to all be sitting in the in the same office. So, uh, which is great, but uh, I think that's yeah. part of it, though, as well. It's just because we're not necessarily all sitting next to each other anymore, or that we're doing work with people in other countries or different locations. That there is a lot of text communication. You know, people aren't talking; they're not just shouting across the room. You know, they're they're having to make these text messages or phone calls or jump on Slacks and emails. Like, and there's a lot of a lot of this stuff that takes up everybody's time. Um, But, yeah, if you can outsource that and have a virtual assistant do a lot of the backward and forwarding for you, you end up having more time to get to the bigger problems in your business. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's a constant theme of because we're a distributed team, we chat about that every now and then. But one thing about having a distributed team as well is you're forced to create more process and use better tools which means you can plug a VA in. Um, when when you have a physical office and people are co-located, there's a lot more informal sort of the, the, the conversation and communication happens in a more informal way, which can be incredibly effective because it's very nuanced, but it also means it's not scalable as well. And you can't plug things in like a VA easily. So always, always pros and cons uh, as with everything. But... Um, yeah, and and Barbara invited me to be on her podcast, so I'm going to be. Uh, we, I've recorded that, so if uh, yeah, if you want to keep an eye out on Barbara's podcast, um, just Google it. And uh, I was the guest on that show, so it's fun being on the other end of the mic. Kate, you've been on some podcasts as well, haven't you? Um, yes, one. I was on what's the word with uh, Cheval John once. Uh-huh. It was it's good. A nice. 
it's nice to be on the other side, right? Yeah. I feel like there's a little bit more pressure though, actually. Like you don't really, really? know what the question's going to be. <laughs> you, you're in less control of it. Less control. But it is good if it's just, if it's sort of informal chat, it's, it's a good fun. It's good fun. But yeah, if you're getting like lots of questions aimed at you and, you know, I could see what's the word I was fine with. Um, but yeah, I can imagine if somebody had like lots of set questions for you and you weren't prepared, it could be a bit daunting. I think if it's a topic that you know about as well, though, it's okay. But if it's a topic you need to prepare, yeah, that can that can be tricky. Podcasting's become a lot more competitive, a lot more professional. I mean, I even my list of podcasts these days. I've, I mean, there's just so many amazing podcasts with such high quality content. Some the production value on some of them is just incredible. Some of them have teams of people producing these podcasts. You know, ours is a bit rough around the edges we we production value is quite light um and we're up against a lot of uh, very good competitors in the space yeah definitely but um i think i think there's still a place for a more sort of charming less produced podcast i'm hoping otherwise you and i are just talking to ourselves kate <laughs> well i hope not but yes. No, I don't, I don't think so. On that note, you can always email us at podcast.itsamonkey.com if you've made it this far. You can tweet us at, at Monkey Podcast. We love hearing from you. You know, Kate, I was thinking we used to have the Startup Minute. We had a few comp- companies would email us 30 seconds of audio and promote themselves, which which I'm still happy to do. We had a few people email that in. You know what I'd like to do as well? I'd like to have like a, a not-for-profit or a charity segment where charities can just send us through 30 seconds and we can just promote their charity wouldn't that be cool yeah good initiative anyone's out there they should send us something yeah if you work for a not-for-profit or a charity and uh you just want to get a a link on our show notes which is always great for seo and b um raise your profile and your brand if you're not for profit or your charity always happy to that's a fun thing, having a small business like ours. We can sort of do whatever we want, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, a bit more of an informal chat. Yeah. Cool. Okay. You've uh, been listening to the It's a Monkey podcast with Kate Frappel and Kevin Garber. You can follow us on Twitter, Kate, just at, at Kate Frappel. I'm at KE underscore GA. Also check out our Twitter chat Tuesday evening, America time, Wednesday morning, Australia time. We talk about all sorts of interesting stuff on the Twitter chat. Just Google uh, social ROI. And uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope you have a good week. Thanks for joining us.